0: Hello, and thanks for streaming The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. This is a fortnightly look at the technologies that are going to affect our lives in, wait for it, the near future. Donald Trump had the biggest ever turnout for a presidential inauguration, and he won the last election. Anyone who said otherwise was accused of fake news, a term so vague that it quickly came to mean anything the accuser didn't like. But both political sides are guilty of it. Why was Trump's win such a surprise in the first place? Because we all believe what we saw in the press and social media. Why were so many people taken aback by Brexit? Because they believe what they saw in the papers and on social media, mistaking it for the view of the country and some objective truth. This has become more important than ever recently. A few weeks ago, I had my first vaccine jab against coronavirus, but a lot of people are refusing it. On the BBC News a few weeks ago, they spoke to people who were declining it. Some felt the development was too rushed. One woman thought the government was actively trying to kill her. There are others who claim there'll be chips inserted to track us all, and they generally make these claims using phones that could track them much more efficiently if the makers were determined. But that's just me being cynical. Now, my guest today is very concerned about this vaccine hesitancy and fake news in general, and what's fueling it. And he believes the government's top-down approach could usefully be supplemented by taking the discussion elsewhere his company is active in discrediting this fake news it's called lightful and his name is vinay nair vinay welcome
1: thank you so much Ke.
0: great so first of all perhaps you could tell us a bit about lightful and what you actually do
1: of course i'd be delighted to but i guess first of all i have to say congratulations on your first dose of the vaccine um, it is something that I'm waiting for the text message to come through or the blue envelope to fall through the letterbox.
0: Con- congratulations are not necessary. Strictly speaking, I just basically sat there, and uh, you've just established that you're younger than me. So could we move on, please? <laughs>
1: yeah, so remind me that I think I must be in my teens or something, right? That's the only people group who still haven't got it, right? Let's go with that guy, shall we?
0: Let's go with that. Uh-huh. We're both in our teens, and uh, anyway, before before we go completely down a midlife crisis strewn alley, <laughs> uh, perhaps you could tell me a bit about Lightfall and what you do please.
1: Of course. course. Listen, thank you for having me on. So Lightful is a technology company for social good. We work exclusively with charities, non-profits, social enterprises, trusts, foundations, educational institutions, actually a term that's increasingly known as beyond profits. Lightful ourselves as a tech company, we're a a certified B corporation or B corp. I mean, we really believe that we need to positively align our financial success with social environmental impact. And what we do is we do really three things. The first is we build digital products for our, our client based nonprofits. We create solutions, so much more customized technology solutions to help support specific pain points or challenges that they may have. And thirdly, we enable learning. So we work with almost a thousand small charities in over forty countries around the world to give them the tools and the training so that they can use social media and digital comms more effectively to raise more awareness raise more funds, and ultimately deliver more impact.
0: That's quite a mission statement. What's your own background?
1: <laughs> Thank you. Well, my background is, is a couple fold. Firstly, I spent quite a few years, almost a decade, working in the city, uh, working at JP Morgan here in London and uh, a couple of other places uh, as well. But about 10 or 12 years ago, and oops, I've now aged myself for the vaccine grouping, I shifted my career really to focus in this entire space, guy, of this idea of using business, and technology and finance as a force for good. And it's taken me to a couple of different interesting spots. I spent some time in Mozambique in public health, working for the Clinton Foundation's HIV AIDS initiative. I worked in a field called social impact investing for a wonderful nonprofit called the Acumen Fund. And along with some others, helped to lead a UK focused social impact investor called Social and Sustainable Capital, where we were investing 50 million pounds in great causes around the country. And when I was doing that, I got together with a couple of friends where we noticed that technology was supporting, enabling other parts of the economy, society from, you know, taxis to minicabs, but really not enough happening for the hundreds of thousands in the UK, millions of charities that exist. And we thought, well, there isn't just a gap here, there's a potential opportunity. And that's what drove us to to set up Lightful and, and how I've come to this point today.
0: We're going to talk about vaccine hesitancy hesitancy specifically. Uh, I'm just wondering, what is the actual problem
1: here? Why are people rejecting the vaccines? So this is a really interesting topic that Lightful has gotten into in the last several months. And I think the starting point that I often find, um, Guy, is that this isn't really a case of sort of a fringe group of anti-vaxxers that can kind of be dismissed or try to be regulated away. They exist. But actually, when it comes to vaccine hesitancy, I actually think it's it's of large groups of various communities, particularly around uh, what the data is showing around Black, Asian, minority ethnic communities, who have a fear and a genuine mistrust when it comes to the vaccine. They don't know. They have certain questions that they are concerned about: speed of production, some of the ingredients. Totally false information that they may be seeing, that has meant that a combination of the information that they've received, a lack of trust, and actually a turbocharging of seeing this information online, whether it's in messaging apps or on social media, um, on their phones or on their computers, where it's really, really amplifying their fears and concerns. And a lot of times, it's grounded in historic inequities, which has driven this lack of trust. And so that is what vaccine hesitancy really is, and why it's so important that we need to in my view, start from a place of empathy and understanding and then be able to establish what the challenges are in a more almost Socratic method to listen, to ask questions and then be able to go on the journey. Because I did congratulate you. I passionately believe it's important that we achieve population-wide levels of uptake and have it be equitable. And that's really why I think this vaccine hesitancy has to start from that place of of listening and empathy.
0: Well, fair enough. And thank you. I didn't mean to be disingenuous when you... uh congratulated me on that. Um, but uh, I, I, I do get back to things like that person on the news who did exist, who thought the government was trying to kill her. My gut response when I first saw it was that she was being ridiculous. The government's not going to try and kill anybody. Without stereotyping myself, is that partly due to my background as a, a middle-class, middle if you like, a middle-aged white man?
1: I wouldn't put it down to that at all. I, I think it's just an understanding of where you know, what, standing in her shoes and, and thinking what might have caused this sort of pretty extreme, clearly view, clearly. And, you know, one of the things about vaccine misinformation is that we need to be cautious not to repeat it. So, you know, really emphasizing the views that she was purporting are, are completely false. I don't think it's about your perspective. I think it's about understanding what hers is. And actually what, I, what we're finding is that we're seeing stories that have existed for a long time across certain communities where there is a genuine lack of trust in central government sometimes in health professionals, sometimes in pharmaceutical companies. And it's a pretty scary stories of what's happened in terms of trials that have been run in sub-Saharan Africa and with, you know, African-American populations and even sort of concerns that exist on these shores in the UK as well. So I think it's not necessarily about that. You know, you hear this and you're like, what's going on? But sort of understanding what it is and trying to peel back the layers. And ultimately, I feel it's about thinking about trust. Well, who might that person trust? How can we get the truth to the hands of those who might be able to convey that trust and then be able to connect with such people who is on, like that lady who's on the news in a substantive and meaningful way? And frankly, of course, given this is your podcast, to also do it in a tech first, digital first way as well.
0: Well, yes, yeah, as that. And also, I think you, it's very important what you said about empathising with people. I, I know nothing about that person's background, but there definitely are people in the UK uh, and elsewhere who've come here as refugees, genuine refugees with backgrounds as such that their governments may well have been trying to kill them, and that's not irrational it was a simple matter of fact and the fact the idea that they're just going to turn over all that and think it's all right we've got that nice mr johnson now or whoever happened to be there it it could be just anybody yeah. uh, you know it doesn't necessarily mean they're stupid it could mean that it, it can mean they're frightened it can mean they have a historical reason to be frightened of authority so i i, I mentioned that because i don't think we should take uh, underestimate the difficulty of what you're uh, you're taking on uh, nor judge the people that we're trying to help here well said, But there are, of course, large numbers of minorities mistrusting this uh, vaccine thing. I don't want to treat you as any sort of spokesperson. That's not fair. But do you have any instinct, just as an individual, as to why certain groups are so anti what seems to you and me to be such objective facts?
1: It's a really, really important and great question. And, you know, to share, share some data that came out a few months ago, and I'll share some more recent data as well. But initially, just at the start of the vaccine rollout, 72% 72% of Black respondents said they were unlikely or very unlikely to be vaccinated. And among Pakistani and Bangladeshi groups, the figure was 42%. That came from a, the UK household longitudinal study. So I think what we're finding with BAME, Black, Asian, minority ethnic communities, is as I said, there is a historical mistrust and concern that exists with many of those involved, responsible in creating the vaccine, and disseminating the vaccine and communicating about the vaccine. You know, SAGE themselves, the SAGE group of advisors to the UK government actually talked about, you know, used the language of structural and institutional racism and discrimination in health services, historical unethical healthcare research as being these reasons. So guys, that's where I think a lot of this emanates from. Now it's interesting, of course, this could be a, a long time ago, decades in many you know, issues in the seventies, why are we talking about them today? But as we know in communities, people have such levels of trust and communication that once the misinformation sets hold, and it gets like turbocharged, as I was talking about through, you know, online means, these sort of historic perceptions can amplify in in massive ways. So I think that's ultimately where it has come from. And in order to tackle it, it is about recognizing the strength of community, community leaders, faith leaders, recognizing that we can't just do things one-off and think, oh, well, we addressed that thing from the, uh, the the clinical trial that happened previously, and it's done. This has to be approached in, in, not in a one-off way, but in a dynamic way. And if the information is in their phones uh, and on their on their social networks, then we need to be countering it in their phones and on their social networks as well.
0: Do you want to sound as confident as my interviewee in this episode? If you talk to the press or other media, are you worried you'll be misquoted, or they'll just publish their story and not yours? Clapperton Media Associates can help with coaching. Drop me a note, guy at clapperton.co.uk, and we'll arrange a time for an exploratory call. Now, back to the podcast. I wonder if there's also an element of cultural, sort of social discrimination that's happened in the past, uh, which means that uh, if someone thinks, well, I'm going to have a vaccine, I might actually have to take uh, a couple of days off work because it might well not be for six because it has done for a number of people. There may be a certain suspicion that, uh, and that's when my employer is going to get rid of me, because that's what they did to, to the last person from a particular minority. I'm just wondering whether that's, that sort of thing is going to play into uh, your reluctance to deliberately knock yourself out for a, or deliberately risk knocking yourself out for a few days.
1: I think it's a brilliant point. And I think it does interweave with the you know structure of our economy, how people are set up. You know, we're seeing, for example, I was talking about some more modern data, where by the way, there is it looks like some good news in terms of some of the effects are starting to starting to make an impact. I think much more needs to happen, but that's good. But I think you're totally right that it's, it can also, we talk about BAME communities, but also there's an element of, uh, and there was an interesting uh, article and, and some research to come out featuring the Guardian and so on, where it talked about people living in deprived areas that it has to do with structural bar- barriers to accessing healthcare. And exactly as we saw with people who were concerning, you know, there's a fabulous um, piece in the Financial Times a couple of weekends ago where there was much more kind of deep study done in East London where people are just scared about, you know, they might have a headache or might be losing the sense of taste, but they couldn't afford to be off work. And doctor, can you not just give me a pill to maybe able to help? And people, you know, part of the challenges we've seen in Test and Trace, that is part of the flow through. I think you're exactly right, Kai, that we're seeing as part of why people might be unwilling or in many ways unable for multiple reasons to actually get the vaccine itself.
0: I should just declare an interest here, by the way, that uh, my wife works for a local authority and has been involved in some of the efforts to try and uh, communicate with some of these, uh, these communities, which is why I'm perhaps unusually well-informed uh, for somebody in my uh, position, because uh, we, we do discuss it quite a lot. I do want to credit uh, Carol there. I'm interested, though, how you actually go about engaging with these communities. I know that's something very close to your heart. How, where do you even start, I suppose, is what I'm thinking
1: full props and maximum respect to, to your wife, Guy, because actually, you know, local authorities and councils are playing a really important role right now. Actually, we've seen from the from central government money, 21, 22 million pounds, was, has been circulated to 60 local authorities to really support community champions. And I think to answer your question, Guy, that's how I think about it. Thinking about community leaders, community champions is a term used by local authorities and councils. I actually think faith-based leaders you know, in churches, in mosques, in synagogues, and temples. So, you know, Lightful is a secular organization, but I really, as we've studied and developed our work on this, realized that community leaders and faith leaders are, are play play a big role here. And so, I think, guide the way that we start going about this is to think of it in in three ways. The first is we think of those community led approaches and community first and recognizing for example messages that maybe come from the center that maybe have to be translated literally language wise or actually translated in a way that will be more resonant and understood in communities and helping those community leaders like kind of a community first approach I think also secondly we need to have a a digitally led approach and by that I mean some of the money by the way even some of this 21 million pounds is going for you know workplace engagement and in schools and so on very important, but there are some analog approaches being adopted when the challenge is digital. And I would argue being digitally led is really important. So how do we help those community leaders with the digital tools and digital training and digital support so that they know how to counteract the information. They have the information of what to say and that we support them on how to say it. How do they leverage senior members of their community? How do they share video, how do they engage in messaging apps and Facebook groups, et cetera, et cetera, so that the digital element is key. And the third part of, uh, of the three guy is that I think it needs to be dynamic. And by that, I mean, I think there's some excellent initiatives that are taking place and have taken place you know, in the first couple of months of this year, but they, they tend to kind of be one-off. Like for example, we saw Asian celebrities create a really, really great video that was sort of shared in the month of, of February, but then with the new cycle, it went. And you know, those one-off initiatives, they don't necessarily, you know, they didn't mention blood clotting as an issue because the vaccine hesitancy is, is skepticism challenges dynamic in nature and so too must our response be. And so therefore, I think it needs to recognize this isn't a one-off piece, it has to be ongoing, building the capabilities and capacity of the local leaders over a course of weeks and months so that we, can, we and they can respond As the situation evolves, as new news emerges, as new fake news emerges, to use your term from earlier, and then even as we get into the winter and so on, feel like they have the capacity and capabilities to be able to really continue to work in their community. So they're the three bits of what Lightful does and how I and we think about using kind of tech as an important part with communities and being dynamic.
0: OK, so things like uh, when Boris Johnson was filmed having his jab and when various other MPs of all political colourings and all nationalities, we've had other prime ministers of other countries uh, being filmed having their jabs. Is that unhelpful? Is it irrelevant? Are they, are they preaching to the already converted, do you think?
1: I do not think it's unhelpful. However, I don't think it's necessarily what is the, the tipping point to get somebody who is concerned, worried, fearful, has, as you say, structural barriers to access Healthcare and so on necessarily do it. However, I think it's important that people in a position of responsibility and power are walking the walk as well. And so, I th- I warmly welcome the Prime Minister, other leaders, international leaders, you know, other ethnic leaders, and so on. The celebrity video, I think, it's all part of what we need to do. But on its own right, I don't think it's what's going to make the difference. I think it needs to be a little bit more bottom up. I think it needs to continue to evolve and keep reaching people who are otherwise kind of disengaged from many parts of the community already.
0: Okay, so I'm a middle-aged white man. Other than sorting out my own vaccine, which, although that will protect other people, it was mostly done for entirely self-centred reasons. I do not want coronavirus, thanks very much. What can I do to help?
1: I think having this very conversation is incredible. So I think personally and professionally, what can we do? We can showcase the importance ourselves of the vaccine. I think you were very eloquent in talk of, in terms of talking about starting from a place of listening and understanding and empathy. We need to recognize where this sort of anti-vax piece exists. The, the Center for Countering Digital Hate has done some good work to help actually shut that down. So you know, professionally, or can we do more to continue to get to the source of some of this misinformation and, and tackle it? So I think that combination of what might we be able to do professionally, speaking to our colleagues and our, our various stakeholders. Are around us, I think, is very important and potentially flex a little bit more of what we do to make sure our uh, employers or our colleagues can um, understand the issue and then be able to deal with it. And then, personally, I think it's just to continue to recognize that you know, 31 32 million people getting it is amazing news. We can't take our eye off equitable distribution and equitable uptake, and I think this is so important because we do need to want to desperate to get to that the post-pandemic, you know, the level one where we're able to kind of uh, resume and, and, you know, build back better, but build back fairer, I would say as well. Um, So I think that combination of professional, personal is very powerful that each of us can can play, irrespective of your age, gender, er, ethnicity, I would say, by the way, Guy, my points are are in response to your question, but I would extrapolate that to, frankly, anybody who asks me.
0: Okay, and finally, how do people find out more about yourself and uh, what Lightful does?
1: Thank you very much. Well, I would be delighted to connect with your listeners on on LinkedIn, you know, Vinay Nair and working at Lightful, L-I-G-H-T-F-U-L. Please do connect, do go to our website, lightful.com or follow us on the usual social channels at at Lightful and let us know what you think. Let us know if you're working in the area of um, vaccine hesitancy, what's going on. Even beyond that, if you're working with small nonprofits, and, you know, the charity sector is going through a really rough period, much higher demand, um, with challenges on fundraising that's a big, big part, actually the biggest part of what Lightful does you know, connect with us, let us know what you're doing see if there are ways we can collaborate and really help civil society to, to support uh, the next phase of, of what we go through and, and um, as I say I'll, I'll use the line of build back better but add in build back fairer uh, as a way for all of us to, to move forward so yeah, thank you Guy and I'd love to connect with your listeners
0: Vin and I of Lightful, thank you very much for joining me thank you and many thanks to you for listening that was the near futurist podcast with me guy clapperton don't forget as always to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk or my media training site at remotemediatraining.com i'll be back as always in two weeks time